It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight, especially in a warm building when it's cold out there. In a few moments, the Lord will be ministering to us tonight as we worship Him. Why don't we stand? We'll just start the service off with uh, thanksgiving, sacrifice of thanksgiving. God, I thank you. We thank you for giving us another evening together to magnify your name. God, we are in need of you, of your presence. We're asked that you'd move in this place today as we magnify your name. We exalt you, Lord. We give you high praise because you're worthy of high praise. Lord, we need you. We need your presence. We need your touch tonight, Lord. People, there are people who need a touch in their body tonight, God. You already know what they need before they ask, before it's ever mentioned. You know what the need is, God. And we just lift, we lift up hands of gratitude tonight to thank you for all that you are doing and all that you have done, God. You are you are wonderful, you are marvelous, you are magnificent, you are holy, and we honor you, God, tonight with high praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, we magnify your name. Thank you, Jesus, we'll give you an opportunity to give unto the Lord tonight, and we're just going to spend some time uh, worshiping the Lord, amen. Like a bird in prison, I dwell. No freedom from my sorrow, I fell. But Jesus came and listened to me. And glory to God, He set me free. Well, He set me free. Yes, He set me free. Oh, 
can we lift that up to him tonight would you raise your hands and your hearts in this house say it's all about you lord say it's all about you it's all about you i know it is it's all about you jesus say it again say it's all about Jesus. One more say it's all about you. It's all about you. And Lord, it's all about you. Oh, yes. Sing that chorus one last time. Say, I'm coming back. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you. lift our hands to the Lord. Praise Him. Let's praise Him. God, it's all about You. Forgive us, Lord, for making it about something else. Forgive us, God, for making it about ourselves. For making it about our wants and our desires, Lord. It's all about You. So we're coming back to this place of worship, making it about You. Worshiping you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. It's a wonderful song, but it's an even uh, greater message of what we must keep our eyes on and be aware of in our life is anything that would take the place of our worship for our great God. We have to always come back and Give it all back to Him. Give our life back to Him, our praise back to Him. Amen. I've asked my wife to teach tonight, and uh, we're going to go ahead and have her make her way up here. If I say God bless Sister Pearson. give that praise to the Lord right now. God, we thank you for your presence in this house, Lord. We exalt you. We magnify you. We adore you, Lord Jesus. And God, we ask right now with our hands lifted that you would have your way tonight in this house. Speak to our hearts, oh God. Anoint our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. I know we have quite a few people out, but God is good, and he is great to us, and he has a word tonight. I pray that I can be a vessel to deliver that word. I know God's got something to say because that's who he is. I know he's got something to say, and I know that his word is always going to do something in our hearts. Amen. So I pray that I can say something to encourage and challenge someone tonight. <clears throat> Appreciate the opportunity to be able to teach um, and it's an honor always to be able to speak the word of God. Always. 
I'm going to talk tonight about something that I have talked before um, here, and then also the very first time I ever spoke at Brother McGraw's church when he first asked me to teach there. This was the subject I talked about. Now, I'm not going to do that exact same lesson. There's going to be some snippets in there. But I have spoken here about it before. But guess what? It's been a few years because we have been here for a few years. So it has been a while. So there may be a few of you who remember some parts of this lesson. Um, But it's not going to be the same. And in fact, while I was getting ready tonight, I kept thinking of things. I'm like, oh, I no, I need, to, I need to say this. So I'd go back and add. And at one point I said, maybe I just don't need to do this one. I just need to do something else because maybe I'm not ready. But you know what? We're going to get up and deliver the word of the Lord and pray that he's going to make some sense out of this and that it will flow into your ears. And God will say to each of you tonight what you need to hear. No matter what I say, we pray that God will say what he wants to say to each of you tonight. I am going to talk about the fear of the Lord, although I'm not going to get there immediately. Um, I was thinking today, um, a friend of mine is about to release a song called The Name of Jesus. And when I saw the title of the song that he was getting released, I thought, there's a lot of songs about the name of Jesus. And I immediately felt this check in my spirit. And this is what God told me. And I'm going to share this because we've talked about this before, but I think that what God told me today applies. And he said... He said, magnify me, magnify me, okay? Now, when we think about magnifying something, in my mind, immediately, I think about making it bigger, okay? Anybody with me? Making it bigger. And I think, how can we make God any bigger than he already is, right? But that's not really what we're doing when we magnify something. When we magnify something, let's pretend you've got a magnifying glass and you stick it out. You're not making that object any bigger than it actually is. You're only making it closer for your eyes to see. You're magnifying it in your vision. So our perception of God, we need to keep magnifying him and we need to get in on all the little details. And when we sing songs about the same things over and over again. You know what we're doing? We're magnifying all those little details where we can see his goodness up close. We need to be reminded of it. When we're seeing the word that we've seen before time and time again, we've got a magnifying glass. We're saying, hey, this time I'm going to look at it and there's going to be another detail I missed the last time. And this time God's going to show me something additional. Amen. That's how, that's what happens when we magnify the Lord. We're going to start actually in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Um, And my key verse that I'm springing off of here is actually verse 15, but I want to give you some context for what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 5. So I'm going to give you a few verses, skip around in that chapter. I didn't want to read all 15 verses leading up. So I do want to give you context for the, the springboard scripture, though. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. So he's giving us a direct commandment to follow after God. We go to verse 6. He says, Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Now I want to point out about that scripture that deception is possible. Right? Paul is talking to the church. This is a letter to the church. We can be deceived, but let no man, there's a path that we need to take where we're not going to let anybody deceive us, right? Verse 7, 
Be not ye therefore partakers with them, the children of disobedience. Verse 8, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So he's giving a lot of very direct instruction. Follow God. Don't be deceived. Walk in the light. And then we get to verse 15, and it says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. I'm going to read on to 16 and 17 and come back to 15. Redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Let's go back to 15. He says, see then that ye walk circumspectly. Now, I think that we all realize he's not talking about physically walking. He's talking about our lifestyle, our, our walk with God. We talk about the walk with God, but, you know, for anybody here that might be confused about that, we're not talking about just walking down the street. We're talking about our daily experience with God. That's us walking with the Lord, and there's a way that we should walk. Now, I've taught before about this word circumspectly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but I do want to clarify to make sure we know what it means. We are to walk circumspectly, which means carefully. We're going to take care about the way that we walk. The opposite of circumspectly would be reckless. We're not going to be reckless. We're not taking risks, okay? Now, I want to say that, and I want to balance that with the fact that we've been talking about faith is risky, right? Stepping out in faith is risky. Revival is risky. We've been talking about some of those things, but this is not talking about that particular aspect. This is talking about lifestyle. Our lifestyle and our choices should not be risky when it comes when, with regard to holiness, right? With regard to our choice, we should not be making reckless choices that put us in danger of being deceived, right? That put us in danger of falling into sin. There's a lot of verses where he talks about the fruit of the spirit and the works of of the flesh and filthiness and foolish talking and all of those things that's in this chapter. And he's referring to that. So he's saying, don't walk in a risky way. Don't walk recklessly. You need to walk carefully because you need to make sure you're on the right path. You need to walk carefully so that you stay on the right path, not as fools, but as wise. Now, I want to remind us again, Paul is talking to the church. So what I take from what he's saying is even in the church, we can be fools and we can be wise. Amen. I would submit that all of us have been or are fools at some point. Even in the church, even trying to live for God, we can all be foolish All right, so, but we don't want to be fools. We want to be wise, amen? We don't want to be fools. I don't want to be a fool. I don't want to be an idiot. I'll be a moron. (laughs) I don't want to be a fool. So let's talk about what are the characteristics of a fool. All right, let me give you some things from the word here. Because we can think of a fool as just somebody who's, you know, an idiot, a moron. But the Bible has some things that it calls the fool. And there's some characteristics of the fool. And we can be deceived even in what we think the fool is. And when we think we're being foolish in our lives. The first characteristics, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2. A fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may 
discover itself. Now, if you read a different translation of this, I think I went and read it in the MEV. It says that his heart may express his own desires. Okay, now this is a representation of our culture, right? This is the follow your heart, do what feels good, right? Have it your way. That is the messages that are so pervasive through our culture are telling us that we need to be expressing our own desires. We need to be going after our own way. That's what our culture tries to tell us. And that is opposite to the word of God. Because the word of God says, a fool hath no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. He wants to express his own desires. Okay, so that's one characteristic of the fool. He doesn't delight in understanding. He's not interested in knowing. He just wants to live his life. Let me be. I'm going to do my thing. That's a fool according to the word of God. Number two, Proverbs chapter 28, verse 26. He that trusteth in his own heart, there's a theme here, right? He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. So Paul made a comparison, fools and wise, and here we see it in Proverbs 28 as well. If you trust in your own heart, you are a fool. Now, we know the reason that is, is because Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked who can know it. So if you are trusting in that, if you're trusting in your own heart to lead you and guide you, you will be deceived. You will fall. And you are a fool, right? Let's look at number three here. Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Now, I've heard that verse my whole life. And then I heard Brother Raymond Woodward say something about it a couple years ago that just blew my mind, okay? The fool hath said in his heart. Now, I know a lot of people who say with their mouth that there is no God. That's not what this is talking about. The fool hath said in his heart, through his choices, through his lifestyle. I've seen plenty of these fools sitting on church pews. They come in and they say, we love God. We believe in God. We're serving God. They can even check boxes. But in their actual lifestyle, in their habits, in their choices, there is no evidence of God there at all. So they are what I would call a practical atheist. They say they believe in God, but in their heart, they don't believe in God. They don't believe that there's a God. They're trusting in their own way and not the ways of God. Now, let's, let's think about that. Can we look at our own lives and say, do our choices and our habits and our lifestyle, does it, does it declare that there is a God? I hear you're you're quiet. I I hear it because that's a tough question. Can someone look at the habits of my lifestyle and say, oh, that person believes in God. That person really believes that there's a God. My day-to-day life, right? If they could read my thoughts, do my thoughts testify that there is a God? Because, again, the fool hath said in his heart. There is no God. The fool is only interested in his own desires, his own will, his own plans, okay? And 
he may say something different, but it's the condition of his heart that reveals his status. Is he foolish or is he wise? Now, I want to share this personal story. I've shared it before, so some of y'all have heard it, and you can just humor me and laugh at it again, okay? When I was probably 20, 21 years old, I remember where I was. It's the moment that I heard God speak to me the most clearly I have ever heard his voice. It was almost, it still wasn't an audible voice in the room, but it was so close to that. It was almost audible. I I remember where I was. I was living in an apartment in Madisonville, Kentucky. I was standing in the bathroom. I think I was getting ready for a church service. And I was reasoning something out of my head. I don't remember what I was reasoning. I was probably justifying um, maybe a relationship or something like that. And And I said in my mind, I said, well, I'm not going to marry a minister because God wouldn't want me to do anything that I don't want to do, which is the most ridiculous thing to say. And God said to me, now God might talk to you in a really sweet voice. He does not talk to me that way. It feels a little bit like a slap in the face. It's so jarring. It's, it's jarring. And it kind of like maybe popped me in the back of the head or something. That's the way it felt. And he said, who are you to decide what I do with the life that you gave to me? Whew. Had I, I had been rebuked. But let's think about it. There's a lot of people in the church who think, well, God wants me to be happy. So he's, he's going to let me do whatever I want to do, right? And he said, uh-uh, no, no, no. You gave your life to me, and I know what's best, and I'm going to decide for you. That's called submission. That's called wisdom when we let God decide for us because he sees much farther. Now, obviously, God had different plans for my life than I did because here I am married to a minister, right? So obviously God said, uh-uh, I will, I'll deal with that, okay? Now, of course, the perspective I was coming from at the time is I was a pastor's kid, and I knew, I knew what that meant, and I was like, I ain't about that life, Jesus. No, I'll serve you, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, but I'm not going to, well, and the Lord said, okay, we'll see. You really gave your life to me? We'll see. There are a lot of people, though, sitting on church pews who believe that because God loves them, Okay, he will give them whatever they want and that he's going to cater to their every whim. They have equated Jesus to Santa Claus. Right? They think, I'm just going to check off some boxes and there's a scripture that says, you know, delight thyself in the Lord and he's going to give me the desires of my heart. So I got a list here, Jesus. And if I just do these things, then I'm ready for you to, you know, show up with the goods. Right? But that's a self-centered gospel. That's a very self-centered gospel, and it's a gospel that believes that God is serving them instead of them serving God. If we're not careful, that's the the comfortable seat we're going to sit down in, where we're just waiting on God to show up with the things on our list instead of us saying, whatever, whatever, Lord, whatever, Lord. Now, I just want to point that out. That's the way the fool sees it, is the fool can come to church and be like, okay, I got my list of things I want. All right, Jesus, I'm just waiting on you to come through with it. You know, instead of being completely and totally surrendered, which is the path of wisdom. Amen. You know what? And sometimes God has to speak to us pretty strong, (laughs) pop us in the back of the head and tell us that's what he's had to do for me. We have to check ourselves. Do my habits, my choices, my thoughts reflect my love for God and my desire 
to serve him. And really quickly about the love of God, here's what I want to say, because there's our modern church world has has really focused in on the love of God. And people need to know that God loves them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God robed himself in flesh and came and hung on a cross because of his love for people. But I heard a friend of mine one time reasoning, and she was reasoning in her head that basically when people die, everybody goes to heaven. And this was her reasoning. Because God loves people so much. And if, if I had a child and, you know, they had done whatever, but they hadn't done what I wanted them to do, but they died, I would still let them go to heaven. And so by her reasoning, God loves us so much, but this is what we have to understand about the love of God. He loves us so much that he gave us an opportunity to choose. We can choose to be part of the kingdom of God or not. If we don't get a choice, it's not love, Right? His love for us gives us a choice. And then once we make that choice, we've got some things that we've got to settle in our heads. And one of those things is the fear of the Lord. And that's where we're going with this. Our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. And that's why we need the fear of the Lord. That's why we need God's word present daily in our lives. This word will examine us. It will search us. It will get in there and start poking at things and say, hey, wait a minute. This doesn't belong there. Because, again, our hearts are deceitful. They're desperately wicked. We need God's word to examine us. We need God's presence to weigh us. When we get in the presence of God and we worship with our brothers and our sisters in a corporate setting like this, let me tell you what's happening. God is weighing us. He's weighing us, and he's like, oh, there's some things missing that I need to restore into your spirit so that you fit the balance. The balance equals out, right? He's weighing us, and he's creating in us a clean heart. We need godly leadership to counsel and correct us. Why do we need those things? Our hearts are messed up. Left to our own devices, we will go the wrong way. So if we don't have the word of God, if we don't have the presence of God active in our lives, and if we don't have leadership active in our lives, we will easily go astray. Every single one of us. We can so easily end up walking the path of the fool, but we want to be wise. So how do we become wise? Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 9 verse 10. We're going to see a theme here. The fear of the Lord is is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. There's a theme, right? The fear of the Lord. This is the starting point. One more scripture, Psalms 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord, again, is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments, his praise endureth forever. So we have a step one. If we want to be wise, there's a step one, and it's the fear of the Lord. Now, what does it mean to have the fear of the Lord? Does it mean I'm afraid of God? Well, this is an important question. This is a big question mark in the minds of a lot of people, okay? Because we talk about how much that we can trust God and that God loves us, right? And then we're like, oh, but you got to fear the Lord. So how do we make that make sense? Anybody else wondered, hey, I I don't know how this all fits in. 
And then, of course, we go to 2 Timothy 1.7. I don't even know if I gave that to you because I don't know that we need it, but it just says that God's not given us the spirit of fear. So God has not given us the spirit of fear, and yet wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord, right? So that's what we're going to talk about. I want that to make sense to you when you leave today. Amen? If it doesn't make sense to you now, I want it to make sense when you leave. Now, before we go any further, I'm going to go to Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare. All right, so I don't want to get twisted in our heads. We need the fear of the Lord, but the fear of man is a trap. The fear of man is a trap. And there are a lot of people doing their best to live for God who are under the thumb of the fear of man, and it's a trap. All right, so when I'm talking about the fear of the Lord, I'm not talking about that because that's a snare. The word tells us that that is a snare. Now, we need godly leadership, but we need pastors who are true shepherds of the flock, who truly want the best for the flock. There are pastors out there who aren't that way. I hate that. It, it breaks my heart and it breaks the heart of God. It breaks the heart of God. But there are pastors who rule with the fear of man. That's a trap. We can't fall into that trap. It's a trap when we worry about what we're doing, not for the sake of pleasing God, but for the sake of the person across the aisle. That's a trap. Okay? Look at Joseph. When Joseph was in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife tempted him, what did he say? He said, I can't do this thing against my God. Now, he knew Potiphar would be tore up about it, right? He knew it'd be a problem, but he wasn't as worried about Potiphar as he was about sinning in the eyes of God because that's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord says, I, I, I don't want to hurt my brother and my sister, but more than anything, I want to please God. I'm not held captive by the thoughts and the opinions of others. Now, I want to clarify, when we're truly seeking the fear of the Lord and we're walking in godly character, we're going to have good community around us. We're not going to be off by ourselves, isolated, just us and God, got our own thing going on, because that's not God's will. God's will is the church. God's will is a body. God's will is us being in submission one to another. God's will is us being in submission to godly leadership. Amen? That is God's will. But it starts with the fear of the Lord. Because when we fear the Lord in the way that we should, we want his will above anything else. Now, I think the fear of the Lord is a realization of God's character and absolute nature, okay? Now, I want to say the Hebrew word that's used in the Old Testament, it's basically the same root word whether it's talking about the fear of the Lord or it's talking about in Psalm 23, I will fear no evil. It's the same word, just different, a verb, a noun, adjective, etc. You know what I'm saying? It's the same root word. So you can't go and look at the Hebrew and say, well, this is a different kind of fear. And there are people that say, well, it's a reverence and it's a respect. And it is, but I think it's so much deeper than that. Because there's a lot of people in this world that I respect. And if they walked into a room, I would reverence them and I won't do what they say. We don't want to be that way with God. Where we respect him and if he comes in the room, well, you know, take a hat off, whatever. And we'll reverence him, but then our lives look nothing like him right? There's a lot of people that that's the fear of the Lord they have. They say, oh, I think Jesus is cool. And, you know, I think it's great what he said and I'm going to live my own life, right? That's not the fear of the Lord. And we want to live our life with the fear of the Lord. 
So it's this realization of his character, his absolute nature, and therefore choosing to live within his principles. Now, here's the number one reason that I think we cannot compare this fear to any other fear. Because I can fear man because I know man's heart. Right? I can fear people in this world that they will do evil to me because guess what? Men and women can be evil. People can be evil, right? I think that's why it's so easy to fear man. It's a trap, but it's so easy to do it. But when we really know who God is, we trust him because we know he's good. And that's why it's a different kind of fear because I know God is good. I know God is good. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God, there's two things here. If you're going to come to God with faith and please him, you've got to have these two things. You've got to believe that he is. Well, first, you've got to believe in God. And it's not enough just to believe in God. You've also got to believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, I'm going to interpret that in my brain. That means to me that if I go after God, he rewards me, and therefore he is good. So I have to believe that he is and that he's good. Now, I know a lot of people in the church who do believe in God, but they don't believe he's good. They believe he's good to everybody but them. They believe that God has wronged them, that God has failed them. That's not God's character. Now, we have a hard time with this, and I'm going to tell you why. Because we don't understand that sometimes God's good path for us is painful. Sometimes God's good path for us means loss. Sometimes it means unanswered prayers. People don't get healed the way we thought they were going to get healed, and it's still God's will. Right back in Ephesians chapter five, verse, verse uh, eight, uh, see 15, 17, I think it was. It said, yeah, understanding what the will of the Lord is. That makes us wise when we understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is not always our prosperity. It's not always our health. It's not always our safety. You hear what I'm saying? Not in our definitions and not in our terms. I thought about this on Sunday when Brother Anderson was talking about Stephen being stoned. Listen, can you imagine Stephen being stoned? To my knowledge, he was the first one in the church that was ever stoned. Is that right? I didn't look that up, but he was the first person stoned. Was he the first martyr? He was the first martyr. Was it James? James and then Stephen. But here, think about this church. They're serving a victorious God, a God who they've seen. They've seen Jesus raise the dead. They've seen him open blinded eyes. Peter and John just walking along and pull up this lame guy and he walks, right? They're seeing all these miraculous things. And so when Stephen is taken, they think God's going to deliver him. He didn't deliver him the way they wanted him to be delivered. And yet, can we still say he's a victorious God and that he always wins? Yes, he does. But it doesn't look like we want it to look. And Stephen is there and he sees the glory of God. And he sees Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Jesus saw the whole thing and he didn't do anything about it because it was his will. Now, that's hard for us to swallow. That's hard for us to swallow. But for us to get to the fear of the Lord, we have to settle in our hearts and in our minds, God is good even when it doesn't look like I want it to look. Even when he doesn't show up in the way I think he needs to show up, I'm not God. He is. He's still good. Even when that prayer's not answered, 
he's still good. So that's God's character. Now let me give you an illustration of God's absolute nature. The law of the Lord. Here's what I mean by that. Several years ago, I was in Idaho. Some of y'all have heard me tell this story. I was in Twin Falls, Idaho, where my grandpa lives. He's going to be 99 on Friday. I was there for his 90th birthday, so this was nine years ago. Um, I was in Twin Falls, Idaho. And in Twin Falls, Idaho, if you know anything about it, ever, anybody heard of Twin Falls? There's the Snake River Canyon. Have you heard of Snake River Canyon? Evil Knievel tried to jump it. Okay, so it's a pretty big canyon, all right? And there's a bridge that goes across the Snake River Canyon, the Perrine Bridge. It's almost 500 feet high. And it's one of the only places in the world that you can base jump off without a permit. So people are base jumping off of that bridge constantly. You can just go out there any day of the week and watch people do it. They're always out there. Watch them fold up their parachutes. Watch them get up there. Watch them jump off, right? So we're out there. It's a pretty day. We're out there. What We'd seen probably 10 guys already jump off the bridge. Of course, jump off, pull the cord, parachute opens, and they try to land not in the water, and they try to land over on the side, right? It was fun to watch. Well, we're out there, and this guy jumps off and hits the water. His chute didn't open, and it took, it took a second for us to realize what had just happened that we had just watched this man jump to his death. And he died. He was in the water for probably 30 minutes before EMS could even get to him. He wasn't moving. We're watching this thing, this horrific thing unfold. I mean, you could just almost feel the air just go out of everybody when it happened. And in that moment, this is what I want you to understand. None of us shook our fist at the sky and said, gravity, how could you be so cruel? You hear what I'm saying? Nobody said, gravity, how could you do this to this man? Because you know why he died? Because there's the law of gravity. But that law is absolute. Nobody blames gravity when somebody does that. Nobody blames gravity for it. Why? Because we know the law is there. And you know the law is there. And you take the risk You take the risk when you do it. You're tempting gravity. And gravity is absolute. But listen, gravity is the law of the Lord. You know where gravity came from? Came from the mouth of God. Do you see what I'm saying? So when God has, when he's got principles and he's got laws and we can't shake our fist at God and say, how come you let me mess up when we've tempted gravity? Does that make sense to anybody? His law is absolute. His principles are absolute. What does Jesus say to Satan when Satan takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple and Satan says, jump? Scripture says angels are going to bear you up, right? And Jesus says, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Are you crazy? I know what will happen if I jump. And I'm God because I put it there. Now, listen, there are times when God, I know, steps in in a supernatural, miraculous way, and what should have happened does not happen. But we all understand that's not the design. That's out of the design. So when we look at the way God has designed this world, when we look at the way God has designed our walk with him, there are absolutes, and if we want to be blessed, we have to live within his principles. 
We have to have that respect of his principles. Now, here's the deal. I don't go around afraid of gravity. Walk around my day, I don't think one bit about gravity. In fact, gravity is the only reason that any of us can walk upright. If there were more gravity on this earth than we have right now, we'd we'd be stuck to the ground. If there were less, we'd be floating around. Now, listen to this. Those that are up in the space station, six months on the space station with no gravity will age your bones an entire decade. Not only is gravity keeping you upright, but you need it. You need it. What does that sound like? God, who is our breath, who is our life, who is our source, he is keeping us upright. He's the only reason that we can walk this path. But if I go walking down to Red River Gorge and I walk straight off a cliff, is that God's fault or is that my fault? That's the fear of the Lord when I say I'm not getting too close to the edge because I know what happens and I'm not going to blame God for it because I'm going to realize I made a choice. Does that make sense to anybody tonight? Gravity is what keeps me upright if I'm careful about my path. Just like the Lord is what keeps me upright if I'm careful about my path. Now, let's look at this in the word. Galatians chapter 6. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Here's another law. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Next verse, verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Now those who don't have the fear of the Lord, they blame God when they reap their own harvest. Right? They sow seed, and the harvest comes up, and they think, God, what's that? But the law of the harvest is the law of the Lord, right? We're going to reap what we sow. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I've seen God. I have seen God pour out his grace and his mercy in my own life when I was reaping a harvest that was not a good harvest. Anybody had that experience? God's grace and mercy step in. But listen, the consequences are still there. We still bear the consequences of the law of the Lord, of God's principles working in our life. We still bear those consequences. So we want the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is something that we want because that's how we get to wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2 verse 5. Did I put that one on there? Yeah. Then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, I put this verse here because it says we can understand the fear of the Lord, and I want to understand it in its fullness. We can also misunderstand it, and I think there are people who have walked around. There was an old uh, comic called The Far Side. Did anybody ever read The Far Side? Did you? We, oh, we had all the books. It was just us being geeks. Okay. Oh, we loved the far side. Well, there was a, there was a far side cartoon. Okay. And, um, there's this guy walking down the street and hanging above his head. He can't see it. There's a piano, right? There's a piano about to drop. And then you see in the top corner, you see God in front of the computer and he has a button and his fingers about to push the button and it's the smite button. 
smite. God's about to smite this guy, and the piano is about to fall on his head, right? So, but I think that there are people who walk through life feeling like God's getting ready to push the smite button. When God's not the one at the computer, they are. Right? God's not the one trying to push the button. He's over saying, hey, wait, you, you, need, you need to be on a different path. You don't need to even be on that road. You need to be over here walking in my ways. And they're the ones with their own finger on the smite button, getting ready to bring destruction into their own life. And if we don't have the fear of the Lord and we don't understand it, we don't know that. Psalm chapter 34, verse 11. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord can be taught and it can be learned. It can be taught and it can be learned. It's not something you just either have or you don't. You can learn it. You can learn to be wise and walk in his ways and and have respect for him. You can learn to walk in position with his law. And I'm going to talk about that position in just a second. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 29. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Now this is the big one here. We can choose it. We can choose it, but we can also not choose it. We can also choose to do our own thing. Or we can choose the fear of the Lord. Choosing the fear of the Lord is like having an umbrella in a downpour. Now, there's an umbrella back there. I was going to have one of those kids uh, bring it up here and do a demonstration. But it's very broken. So I didn't bring it up here. But choosing the fear of the Lord is like having an umbrella in a downpour. Now, listen. Whether you have the fear of the Lord or not, the downpour is still there. Life is still hard. Amen? Stuff still comes your way, right? You're still going to have flat tires. Everybody's like, that was the devil. And I'm like, I don't know. I think that might have been a nail. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, sometimes, sometimes it's the devil. Sometimes it's just life. Sometimes it's just stuff in the road, right? Sometimes it's just what we have to deal with, okay? But do we have that umbrella of safety, Because that's living in the fear of the Lord. When we have an umbrella over us, we're still in it, but it's not affecting us in the same way because we've chosen to stand under the umbrella. But then everybody else that doesn't have that umbrella is out here getting wet, shaking their fist at the rain, right? But you could have had an umbrella. You could walk in the fear of the Lord. You could walk wisely and circumspectly, but you've got to choose it. I want to look at Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13. I don't think I put this on here because I'm going to read this in the message translation, okay? Reading this, and they, they just, the way it says it in this translation is really powerful. It says, don't fear what they fear. Don't take on their worries. If you're going to worry, worry about the holy, Fear God of the angel armies. The holy can be a hiding place or a boulder blocking your way. I'm going to say that last part again. The holy, God Almighty, he can be a hiding place or he can be a boulder blocking your way. Now, what's the difference between him being a hiding place and him being a boulder that we're beating our head against. It's where we put ourselves. I can put myself behind the rock and he's my hiding place. He's my safety, 
right? I'm in, it says the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. I don't know which verse that was. I didn't put it on there, but we're in that secret place with the Lord. We're behind the rock. He's our shelter. He's our refuge. Or we can put ourselves on the opposite side of the rock, and now we're beating our head against a wall, right? He's a boulder blocking our path. We can't get anywhere. We feel like we're stuck. Why? Because we're on the wrong side of the rock. We're on the wrong side of the fear of the Lord. We've got to be living within it, living within his law, living within his principles. To the fool, he's a boulder blocking the way. To the wise, he's a hiding place. The difference is in what I choose and where I choose to position my life. The last thing I want to say tonight is God is on my side if I'm on his side. A lot of people are like, God's on my side. He's for me. There's Bible for that. But if you check it, if you go look at those situations, they could say the Lord was on their side because they were on his side. They could say God is for me because they were for him. But if we're out doing our own thing and claiming, oh, God's for me, he's on my side, and he's saying, I'm way over here, and you're way over there. And, in fact, you're beating your head against my law. You're beating your head against my principles You're not getting anywhere. It all depends on where we put ourselves. Why don't we stand tonight? I hope that this has blessed somebody, helped somebody, encouraged somebody. And maybe you can take it with you and chew on it for a little bit. Maybe God can show you some things that he didn't even show me. We're going to pray right now and ask that God would seal this word. Pastor, do you have anything else you want to say? Good. All right. Jesus, I thank you, Lord God, that you've spoken to us tonight. You've ministered to our hearts, Jesus. Your word has been read in our hearing, oh God. And I know that your word is going to do what it's set forth to do. Lord God, let it be planted in good soil in our hearts. Let it bring forth fruit to you. Lord, let this change us. Let it transform our thinking. And let it challenge us as we go through the rest of this week. God, be our strength. Be our encouragement. Be our strong tower. God, we thank you for your grace, we thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for another opportunity to hear your word. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Don't forget choir practice on Sunday at 1045, and um, then our revival is happening. I don't have the dates in front of me. Oh, my goodness. 8th, 9th, and 10th. I was afraid I was going to say the wrong date. 8th, 9th, and 10th. So that's not this weekend, but the weekend after. God bless you all. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.